35. It's your instant analysis edition, the State of Combat podcast on CBS Sports, and it is one late night. It's not April 7th anymore. It's April 8th. It's 2.23 a.m. And your boy, B.C., the Brian Campbell, coming back at you with the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, couple hours removed from said WrestleMania 35 show, MetLife Stadium, East Rutherford, New Jersey. But the Silver King and I are back in our respective New York City hotels. Silver King, wow, we didn't even think this show could become a reality because it was a living hell getting out of that stadium and away from it. It was also a seven and a half hour show which we will attempt to break down and uh, as quickly as we can here but uh we gotta just start out with uh wow we just lived that as good <laughs> or bad as mania is going to be it's no longer at the point silver king where you can make jokes about how long it is because like we're living it now seven and a half hours whether you <laughs> hated or loved the show we can't go on like this can we first of all i'm i'm calling it it's it's April eighth, twenty nineteen, two twenty four a.m. Eastern. The Silver King is washed because <laughs> I I listen, man. I'm not forty yet. I'm not close, but I can't do that. And, and I could do it in like Tampa or Miami or Orlando or New Orleans. WrestleMania in a city like this, with a stadium across what is it a river, whatever the hell it is, swamp. A, a, where you need two connecting trains or a hundred dollar Uber to get home. This eight, this doesn't work. And putting on a show that's seven and a half hours with four or five, too many matches, no matter how good the show is, as you just said, it just doesn't work. So I don't mean to start on a sour note because I had a really good time tonight, honestly. And I had a good time this weekend, BC with you and with our crew, but I am exhausted. I mean, that's going to be a part of the theme of this analysis show, not in a harping, angry way, but at the same time, look, everything we're about to tell you is going to be under the cloud of that was a seven and a half hour show. And it used to be trendy to to say that. And then it became trendy to be like, hey, guys, get over it. You signed up for it. It's WrestleMania. But I think now you're getting to the point where where you're hurting the product. You're hurting the endurance level of the fans and journalists because we saw a historic women's main event that did not come on until midnight Eastern is when the first bell of that match rang. It ended right around 12.24 a.m. Eastern. And had that match taken place, Adam, from 12, instead of from 12 to 12.24 to, let's say, uh, 10, 11 to 11.24. Uh, even give me 10.15 to 10.45 well, p.m. I, I, I think you're asking for too much with that. Brian, I'm just but... saying, imagine if you shortened that card in general because here's the deal. We're not I'm not complaining about this card. People are already DMing me they are. I don't believe in it. This was a not great, not very very good, but pretty damn good WrestleMania show top to bottom. There were great moments, but the thing was at 16 matches if you got that down to 9 or 10, this could have been a top 3 or 4 all-time see, show because it had the match quality and it had the moments mixed together. See, I can I honestly contend you can go to 12 and you can give me a six-hour show, and Silver King's walking out happy. There's a huge difference between six and seven and a half. And there are three matches at the end of that show, and we'll get to them individually as much as we can, that directly suffered from this show being long. And their match order and their booking style 
suffered because they knew how long the show was and how much they had to do. So they had to put certain matches in certain spots to get certain crowd reactions. And that worked, but devalues titles. It, it, it throws off the flow of the show. There's a reason why an NXT TakeOver works so well. It's exactly maybe an extra 15 minutes, but ex in exactly three hours, they give you five hot matches. I am not expecting WrestleMania to be that way. But you can give me 12 matches in six hours. You can cut 30 minutes off a kickoff show, and you can ensure that the show ends at 1130. That's all I'm asking. Give me 530 to 1130, Silver King's in. But you cannot go seven and a half hours and you can't do it in new york city in the cold and then it didn't rain while the show was going on but it was starting to right at the very end you uh, can't do it yeah give me silver king's basically saying give me 300 hot minutes and get me out of here more or less but uh it's not gonna happen wrestlemania is an epic thing we can go down the road of should it be two nights should it be this should it be that whatever it is what it was i hope this is the year they do learn their lesson and I know everyone, most of the people listening to this were not there, so this doesn't affect them. But shout out to everybody who, as we record the Silver King, is still at the stadium because that's a nightmare and a half. The train line was about, I don't know, 9,000 people deep when we got walked by there at 1.30 a.m. And the it started pouring and the Uber set up and the taxis. We took one of those taxis home and give the shout out to the Silver King for making this happen. One of those where you're like, I don't know if I'm going to get home. I don't know if I'm going to be alive when this car ends, but I'm going to put my life in this random man's hands. Silver King stepped up. We got it done. And we were home in, what, like 25 minutes. It was amazing. But shout out to everybody else who's standing out there in the rain still. We, we literally got a tweet as we were pulling up in this random SUV. We got a tweet from at Ribsauce, our boy, you know, a contender for the Mount Rushmore. This is terrible. 2 a.m. and we are sitting on an immobile train at the transfer station, uh, what a disaster. I couldn't imagine being a parent and trying to bring a child. And you know what? I couldn't imagine being a Jets fan or a Giants fan and doing this, you know, eight weeks a year for home games. I'm with you. God, God bless you guys. It was a pretty much an ish show just to get to the stadium on those trains and the transfers and all that. But look, those are travel woes. That's another story. We're a couple minutes into this. We got to get into this card. We do. Uh, it was giant. It was historic. And like I said... If only they could shrink it down and those things that were great about it could stand out even brighter. Because I'm going to say as a whole, shout out to WWE. Maybe it's the difference of bringing Bruce back and having Jeff Jarrett backstage. I don't know. I don't know how to put my finger on it. But I think that there was a comedic edge that came out of a lot of these matches that isn't normally there at WrestleMania on this level. I thought overall, I mean, look, first of all, nobody does production like WWE. So even though you and I came in and thought the set was a little underwhelming at first glance, the way that they used those LED boards on, on the, the four giant pillars surrounding the ring, that giant video board on the stage, being there for that is an incredible experience. And you had, Adam, some moments. I laughed. I cried. I mean, it really could have been a classic, this card. I thought the set, if we're going to talk about it briefly, look. I think I, what I heard, and I don't know if it's 100% true, I didn't confirm, I heard they were 8K screens, which is like technology that does exist, but is like extremely expensive. But I got to be honest, man, the ramp was garbage, and the entire set was one huge board. And look, if you just compare it to New Orleans last year, the New Orleans set blew this 
out of the water. Well, okay, it no, just, it just the world did. Stage did Adam. You're right. The stage set did. The stage, yeah. The four pillars around the ring that had Those were cool. video screens, and then the one video, the circular video screen above it that. Uh, along that long, ridiculous yes. LED board, there were video screens where you can watch the matches. When entrances came out and you saw that thing illuminated, like for Shane McMahon or whatever, like I, I kept grabbing my phone to take pictures. Like the, the, Their visuals were insane. I, I don't disagree with that. I just, when I'm looking at WrestleMania, especially from a fan watching at home, and I wasn't one in this case, but you want those epic entrances with the cool set, and you see that set, you know, at least twice a match, right? And you see it in the background the entire show. That New Orleans set and, and the, the Orlando set that we saw a couple of years ago were absolutely stunning. And this one was eye-catching, but it was just a really big screen. And there's a lack of creativity there. When you go from last year, that LED ramp, and yeah, it was really long, but every single thing they did with that with Seth Rollins' fire and everything else, and this year it's just black and it's reflective. I don't know. I, I didn't really love it. But BC, look. Not to kind of change the subject or anything, but we have a lot of stuff to talk about. Let's actually get to the wrestling. You down? All right. Every mania has one moment, Adam. One yes. moment. Could be a match. Could be a moment that that gives it that would, if you did a poster of it, this would be the thing that jumps back out in your memory. Last year, it was Ronda Rousey's debut, that mixed tag team match, the match of the night, the pop of the crowd, even though coming in, the moment this year, 35, was supposed to be about the women. Good Lord, that's not what you talk about. As you're walking back from the stadium, as you're getting home, as you're five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you're thinking back to 35. It's not going to be that the women main evented. It's going to be Kofi mania. And Adam, wow. There's moments as a WWE fan but you consider all of the other elements involved in this from race to Kobe being a veteran, Kobe from Kofi being a veteran to getting an unlikely spot to be rocket fueled into the storyline last minute, only because the fans popped for him too, to so many things going on at once to a great match, the match of the night that was more old school about the story than anything else to just that moment. I watched it in the press box. I didn't even really get the full-on experience. You left the press box, went down in the crowd among the people. You tell the listeners what that was like, because I don't know how you rank it, but that was special. I got to tell you, man, you know, I spent five hours in that press box with you, and I, and I was deciding, do I go down? What moment do I do it? You know, do I just see the main event? What do I do? And I saw them pull that preview, start that preview, and I had to do it. I knew. I ran out of that press box. I got right down to the 200 level right below, uh, sat right next to our coworker, Robert Snyder, for a couple minutes. And, Brian, I don't think I've ever experienced anything like that in my history of being a professional wrestling fan at professional wrestling events. I've been to maybe six WrestleManias, dozens of Raws, SmackDowns, live events. We just went to NJPW, G1 Supercard, and we've been to a couple of NXT takeovers, which are some of the best wrestling I've ever seen. Brian, there were men, women, and children in various combinations and degrees, bawling, crying, hugging each other, high fives. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back when I say this, okay? But I've been saying it on the show for a couple months now. If WWE followed through with this angle, 
the roof could blow off MetLife Stadium if they put Kofi over. It, it was beyond that. I couldn't have even come up with a scenario in which I would have seen a crowd act like this crowd. I've seen Shawn Michaels retire live. I've seen Ric Flair be retired live at WrestleMania. I've never seen anything like this. Brian, this was an easy top 10 moment in WrestleMania history for me. And honestly, man, it's bordering on top five. I have to reevaluate it. That match was everything to me as a professional wrestling fan. And I say thank you to WWE for doing it. It doesn't excuse the past, but it makes a major statement for the present and hopefully for the future. I mean, look, it's a progressive times for WWE. And in a lot of ways, it's about time in a lot of these categories from women to, to wrestlers of color. But like, look, we've had a lot of big women's moments over the past couple of years. Just think the past year, whether it's the first women's Royal Rumble match, the first winning the bank match, the evolution pay-per-view Every interview we do, every time you hear the, the female superstars of any era, you see the emotion of how much it means to them. Talking to the four horsewomen, they, they played a part in changing the, the tide. Thinking about what if you're a young female wrestling fan? What if you're Izzy from NXT, that Bailey super fan, and you're there at Evolution, or you're watching this year's main event with the women, and you're like, that could be me. I could do that. And that's one thing that we've seen and sort of experienced as white male wrestling fans we only experience and understand it so much but now try to experience and understand it if you're an african-american wrestling fan and you've been watching forever and it's like it's not it doesn't it's, you don't want it to be a nationalistic thing or a race thing but a lot of times it inevitably is because it's how you identify boxing a very nationalistic sport if you're uh of puerto rican descent you probably grew up loving Miguel Cotto, and that's your guy because you relate to him. He's just like you. I don't know. Why is Zack Ryder my favorite pro wrestler right now and has been? I don't know. Maybe he's a goofy white guy just like me, and I just relate to him. If you're an African-American wrestling fan, you haven't had that guy that you can really put your stock behind and have been there and seen him climb the mountain. And, Adam, you know there's these hardcore wrestling fans that will travel, that will go to these events, that will live and die wearing the merch of their favorite superstar. This Kofi moment, it went beyond getting invested in the storyline. It went beyond WWE's long history of not doing what maybe they should have done. It felt like a cultural moment there. To, to see someone like them succeed. I mean, it, it's there's so many times you use the term inspirational when talking about WWE because they force that side down your throat. This was so feel-good across so many different categories. But even if we're just talking about race, it, it's about time, and man, did it live up and blow the roof off the expectations for what that moment could have felt like. Because, Adam, I'm not going to... like This isn't me trying to be sour or anything like... I thought even close up to the finish that, like, maybe Vince will screw him and keep the belt on Brian. And if he did, I, I could know. give you an argument why that was best for business, even in doing that. Like, okay, the Kofi moment, just to get to this point, that's your moment. But no, this is where I got to pat them on the back and say going forth and actually giving that moment the placement as the mid-card main event before all those fans got worn out. This was perfection. And it was a great-ass match building to that moment yeah you had to have that moment because as we've talked about on this podcast for weeks and as as Kofi mentioned to you when you interviewed him on that New York City rooftop a couple days ago it's about representation and the point that you made, BC we and when I say we I mean you know fans who care about stuff like this have come so close to moments like this over the last dozen or so years 
and it, we just haven't gotten them, right? We had Triple H go over Booker T at WrestleMania where it made no sense for that to actually happen. We had Kofi Kingston in the middle of a push, a strong push against Randy Orton, and it didn't look like he was going to be in the championship picture, but it looked like they were going to put him over Orton and put him in the main event. Instead, that got squashed, and he never reached that place. R-Truth had a rivalry with John Cena and BC. I wanted R-Truth to win and become WWE champion, and I know I'm not the only one. And there's others, Bobby Lashley, you know, that kind of fizzled out. It didn't really work. And, and you can talk about guys like Apollo Crews who have sniffed mid-card titles but never really been in contention for them, right? And, and then you have this organic moment with Kofi Kingston. I mean, imagine if you're like a 15-year-old African-American wrestling fan, right? And you've seen time and again all these guys either occasionally get chances or be in matches. You've seen Kofi in Money in the Bank matches in an elimination chamber, and he's doing all the spots, and he's getting all the cheers, but he never wins. And you finally get this build and this moment, and it's organic. And not just you and your other African-American fans are, are rooting for him. Everyone is, right? Because everyone wants to see it. And I'm not trying to represent the culture here. All right, I'm a white guy from Florida. I'm not, I'm not trying to act like I'm something that I'm not. But it means something to me. And some of my favorite wrestlers all time just so happen to be African-Americans. And to constantly be let down by not seeing these guys get the opportunity to main event shows and, and hold the company's biggest title, it's depressing. And all of that got washed away. It doesn't excuse the past from WWE, but it means something for the present and hopefully does for the future to see Kofi Kingston do what he did on Sunday night in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Brian, like I said, there were people crying, hugging. Silver King was super close to shedding some tears because you felt it, as our, as our clip says. I felt it in my bones, man. Yeah, it, meant, I mean, it meant something to me. I saw it mean something to everyone else. That's the moment of WrestleMania. They wanted it to be the women. It wasn't. It was Kofi Kingston. No, Kingston's. and as the great Nick Costos would say, and we did get a chance to, to see him this weekend, it was it was Shakespeare, and it really was. I mean, it was... I just want to stop and just mark out again for it, because when when I interviewed Kofi on that on that rooftop, for anybody that heard it, look, look I asked him the questions about race, and, and it's not like Kofi gave me a corporate answer. He didn't. But he gave me an answer and reminded me that the brilliant of that of that build for WWE is they never used the word race, but they did the people like us. And what he told me was, it's when I say people like us, I could just be talking about guys wearing pink and purple like me, or wrestlers wearing pigtails like me, or wrestlers that jump around and do flips like me. And what Kofi's trying to say is almost like Valor Club is for everyone. I'm trying to be an inspiration for anyone and everyone, not just African Americans. And I think that's why, in a lot of ways. This storyline connected with us, even us random white guy fans, because it wasn't just about race. It was about that grinder, 11-year veteran Kofi, B-plus player, who was never considered for the big promotion and got a chance at it. And it was about a non-storyline. I mean, this was going to be Kevin Owens or Ali or both leading up to this, where Vince took out the eraser and made it happen because the fans took ownership and willed this guy into that spot. And it, it was about all of that at once. I mean, it was such a special moment that you, we do have to stop and just really appreciate it. And the match was incredible. And I think you got to give Daniel Bryan a lot of credit for that. They told a great story. Momentum build was there. I really, I just got caught up in the moment. I, got, I mean, it was, it was, it's just a fantastic. 
Yeah, uh, I'm with you on that. And for anyone that notices, my voice has now changed. Uh, Silver King just got a noise complaint in his hotel room at 3 a.m. So uh, that's what's happening right now. Um, but yeah, look, I think – and we can, we have a lot more to talk about, so we do eventually need to move on from this. But I think for, my, for me, the takeaway is it was the right move at the right time with the right guy, and that's what's most important. And then going forward, it's Brian. He's got to keep the title for a little bit. I'm not even ready to think about what that's going to look like. I hope he doesn't get double-crossed and screwed on Tuesday night, and then this is all for naught. But, hey, shout-out to Woods and Biggie for being by his side. The whole build and propping him up, and then the way they celebrated, they were celebrating for their brother. I mean, and, and, and it, well, you can really see the love and emotion there. And, oh, man, can we just fin- close out this argue- this talk by just marking out for Kofi's kids, kids coming in the ring, six and three years old. I mean, that's just a moment. That's a real-life moment. And and they're so young that they probably don't understand what's happening, but they're going to look back on that. And, you know, seeing his three-year-old son hold up the title, amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. It's a moment we'll all remember. Um, and, you know, and as I kind of just alluded to, it really wasn't the moment we were supposed to all remember because that was the winner-take-all main event with the Raw and SmackDown Women's Championships both on the line. And what did we see, BC? We saw Becky Lynch pin Ronda Rousey. And also beat Charlotte Flair to take both titles. And what did I say to you uh, on the go on our go home podcast? I said the only way this match should end is with Becky Lynch pinning Ronda Rousey. But you know what? <laughs> they figured out a way for it not to be great. Like I, that's the only way I can put it, right? Because the match was solid, right? I thought Charlotte carried it, and God, thank God she was in it. I, was it overbooked? Was it late and we were tired? I got, was, I got the, what, was the It's a combination of it was all. The fin- was the finish that poorly done? The main, like, the, look, the main problem is you're asking so much of your fans at that point. There was a lot that happened between Kofi going over and this match finally starting at midnight. A lot, you know, you had matches that were rushed, matches that should have been rushed but weren't. I mean, if we're really being honest here, Triple H and Dave Batista should not have gone 24 minutes. They should have gone a, a solid 10 to 15. It should have been a car wreck type match. Uh, in going that long, by the way, they put on a really, really good match. I thought we'll get to that, but you had the fans worn down. You put them in a spot where it's hard for the women to win in that because people want the card to end. You do. The crowd didn't have what it takes to pop. Now here's the deal though. You have to give the ladies a stop and applaud them. They gave an A plus plus effort. They poured out the jar to the point, Adam, that I was getting fearful that they were going to just straight up like injure themselves permanently. Like that was a physical ass match. It was also sloppy. I ended up giving the match a B plus in the end. There were reasons why a plus plus effort doesn't always equal an A plus plus rating. And here's why they really laid it in. They wanted every spot. And I guess that's how that's in theory. And that's what Triple H told us in the show. It's how you take a match. That, that could be great and make it WrestleMania great, all right? But when you're trying to make it WrestleMania main event great and be historic at the same time, the thing to do it is to really get into the storyline, exactly what Tripp said. To do that, sometimes you just got to lay in stuff extra hard. And I think they made the match sloppy by trying to overly lay in every strike, make every spot a little bit more epic than it maybe needed to be. I mean, Ronda hitting her head on the on the floor, basically, when she had Charlotte in that arm bar and Becky came in with the dropkick. I mean, that could have been disastrous. So I think you had the perfect amount of intensity, maybe even a little bit too much. Execution suffered because of that. Still could have held it together because they gave a great effort and it was fun to watch. But the main, the, the finish, far too abrupt. And I'm wondering if they got to a certain minute, because it was a 22-minute match, 
where Vince is just like, uh, guys, it's twelve twenty four a.m. Wrap it up. No, the finish. I, I don't think that's the case because because how do you not look? That's a moment for Becky. That's that's Becky two belts. That that's a moment. And well, Adam, it didn't feel anything like a moment because of the abrupt nature of the finish. So there's two things. One, I don't think they would like rush to a finish. A in a WrestleMania main event, and B because they planned that match out. So there's no like you can't take Ronda Rousey and be like, hey, we're gonna shoot to this finish now. Just go change everything, right? You can't do that with her. Maybe if it was like Austin Rock or Triple H and someone, you can make that work, but not that threesome, right? That was number one. But you're 100% right. Even if you wanted to have a finish like that or a roll-up or a, or a, a bridge or, or some type of pinning combination, it was so abrupt that the fans weren't ready for the moment, so you didn't get the reaction that you wanted. And look, there were multiple botches in that match, and it took me out of it every single time. Ronda I, I was involved in most of them, but they weren't always her fault. A lot of times Becky and or Charlotte didn't catch her properly. And you're right. I don't know what it was from. Maybe it was from trying to do do, do too much. I think that had a lot to do with it. But I, listen, man, the Becky-Charlotte matches were better. The Charlotte-Ronda Rousey match was better. There were three women. They were all trying to steal the show. Uh, they were trying to get all of them over. The finish I didn't necessarily mind because I thought it was really smart for Becky to be able to counter one of Ronda's moves and beat her with a pinfall as opposed to making her submit to another different type of armbar. I was fine with all of that. But if you just go to the finish itself and if it was planned this way, shame on WWE. And if it wasn't planned on this way, then it was a huge botch in the biggest moment of the entire show. There was a one count. Ronda, both of Ronda's shoulders came up like eight inches off the mat, and then it was a two and a three, and they called it. And Ronda, after the match, was kind of upset because her, her shoulders weren't down, which makes me think it was part of the storyline, right? But you can't if do that. that for if, if, but if they're having that. Becky Lynch, if they're having Becky Lynch win two titles in a winner take all match and letting her pin Ronda Rousey, and they're going to couch it by not having her really pin Ronda Rousey. Give me a break. It's WrestleMania main event. You do that on like Fastlane and then you follow it up with a real pin at WrestleMania. You don't do that at WrestleMania. Come on. I, uh, I'm not going to believe that that's the, the scripted finish. I just don't. Like I, I think they got to a certain point. And this is what you have to ask yourself. Do they just not care about the time? And when I say time, I mean the fact that this card went seven and a half hours and didn't start to midnight. Or did they just constantly overshoot their shot along the way and then they scurried and panicked and they still did a dance break at like 11.45 p.m. for, you know, when, when you should have just skipped over that? And did they get to a point where they're like, if we keep going with this, like, are we going to be pushing to 1 a.m.? Like, where are we in this? Where are we going? I, I have to believe that because the planning that went into this match and the idea of giving, like, I know afterwards people are like, man, the main event should have been. Kofi Bryan, and it, it's it's a perfect no. hindsight thing to say that. No, no, but, no. but that's still wrong. The main event yeah. should have been the women. It was the hottest storyline. So I can't sit here for a second and believe that they would have booked such an abrupt finish. Take away the sloppiness of Rousey's shoulders not even being down. And like you said, if that's the plan, then that's even worse. They took away an opportunity indirectly, not purposely. Okay indirectly. This isn't me saying they're trying to water down Becky like we tried to argue during this build there, but it did water down Becky because of the abrupt nature of it. I, there were so many more epic ways you could have had that. You look at the Daniel Bryan Kofi Kingston match, and now you're talking about two much better workers than, than the three, and it's easier to have a two-person match, but it was more about momentum and building toward it, and the story where 
There was really no story in this women's match. It was just violent and epic. And like we said, when the spots were getting too sloppy, I started to fear for their own safety. So I'm going to stand by A++ effort, A-plus presentation by WWE. Charlotte coming in on a helicopter, a throwback to when Rick did that at, at like a, a Great American Bash type event in Charlotte uh, is amazing. It's great attention to detail. The entrances were but, great. It felt grand, but I can't get away from the fact that feeling grand at midnight is much different than feeling grand at 10 o'clock, 10.30, whatever you want to name it. Or 11, or 11 o'clock. Uh, and it also struck me as weird, and I agree, the entrances were epic. They presented it as a real momentous occasion. I thought that was great. But – Though both of them had major entrances and Becky had nothing, like why don't you do at least at a minimum the scene in the thing where like people – like fans line the ramp and cheer her on as she goes to the ring. They did nothing for her. She's the most over. She's the one that you're trying to give this big moment and you do nothing for her in an entrance. You have Triple H riding in a Mad Max thing. You have, you have Batista coming in a couple you know, SUV limos. You had other people do other things and you have Becky Lynch walking to a black screen that says the man. I mean – it it didn't it didn't equate her to the level of the other two women that were in the match. And yeah, they came in as champions, but she left as double champion. And for her to take that match, win the first ever women's main event, a triple threat match, a winner take all match, and for me to at the end kind of be like, okay, well it was the right booking that she won, but I'm shrugging otherwise. Like that shouldn't be my reaction. It shouldn't be anyone's reaction. I mean, how would it... <laughs> Even if you can remove the time argument, which I, again, I don't think you can. Well, let's take the seven and a half hour argument, throw it out the window, the midnight argument, just throw it out. If Becky gets a true moment, okay, if that match ends in a frenetic, awesome sequence and Charlotte comes diving in to try to save the pin or save the tap out, but Ronda taps as Charlotte's diving in to grab her arm and you have just this epic moment and Becky get, you know, what, or and maybe you do a little bit of what we talked about, bringing Sasha and Bailey out and have, I mean, we have that packaged with Kofi. I, we're not talking about time. It could be 4 a.m., brother. We're talking about where does this WrestleMania rank? So that's why to see the women get the rightful prestige and push ahead of this, all those stories that were being written, including previous stories we wrote, right? We had Charlotte on here to talk about how much it meant and to see the week Becky had uh, in terms of media and the interview she did on many shows, the interview we did with her, she hit a home run. And then to have a watered down quote unquote moment, man. Ah, oh, God. It's it's very simple. Whether it was a botch, whether it was rushed, whether it was completely planned. Um, and when I say planned, I mean with the shoulders coming up or not. If that was a botch and they meant to have that be the end of the match, no matter what, it under delivered. That's the that's the key. It under delivered. That still could have been, like you said, despite the time, the match of the night, had they booked it correctly. They told Ronda's story in that match. They, they had Ronda being angry at everything, pissed off, aggressive, you know, really laying it in. I didn't feel a Becky story in that match at all, and she's the one that was coming out on top. Great you, can't do, you can't do that. Um, BC, so obviously we have a lot of matches left. I'm going to go through some of these short ones really quick. Let's do almost like a lightning round, and then we'll stop on ones that really matter. Does that make sense? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
on your happy price, price line. The time has come for drag queens to save the world. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars is back on Paramount Plus, and for the first time ever, I want you to use your talent for good for a change. <laughs> Eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. New season streaming May 17th exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Okay. Intercontinental Championship, you had the Demon Finn Balor defeat Bobby Lashley. I personally, I love the entrance. I love the Demon. I liked that it wasn't a squash like it was with Baron Corbin at SummerSlam. Um, but, you know, you have to – I just don't like the fact that they didn't really give us a reason for the Demon to be there. But, I mean, I love Finn Balor, so – I hated, you know. I hated everything about it so passionately, Adam. The corniness of the demon to the point where it's they're trying to make me not love Finn Balor as much as I do and should because the misuse of the demon, as we talked about, and forcing this match out there at this point in the card when we're like, I mean, Adam, like we had almost panic moments where it's 11 o'clock and we have four matches to go. Like, where are we? What are we doing here? Uh, this match unfortunately fell into that spider web. If this yeah. match had been the second of the night and we got an epic fin entrance and even if they did the same amount of time, uh, maybe I'd feel differently. But at this point, dude, you know who's awesome? Prince Devitt. You know who's really awesome? Fergal, the real guy behind it. You know who's pretty damn awesome too? Leather jacket Fonzie Finn Balor. You know who they're making me hate? The damn demon, the baby face, the guy with the weird tongue. Enough. I'm done. So I, I, love, I love the Demon, but you're 100% right. It should have been the second, third, fourth match in the card, and they could have done exactly the same thing, and it would have been fine. But but the entire failed storyline build, starting it too early and not delivering late and never explaining why he needed the Demon when Bobby like never beat him one-on-one clean. It's like he was trying to get over him. He was always beating Leo Rush or Jinder Mahal or someone else. It just didn't make any sense. It felt forced and felt unnecessary. Uh, we also had the retire- the farewell match with Baron Corbin. Going over Kurt Angle, BC. And look, what's the old adage in wrestling? You always go out on your back. Yeah, That's what happened. Way, there was no swerve. Okay, and that is the old adage, but anyone using that as a crutch to justify this match happening, F off. Baron yeah. Corbin should not have received this push. Uh, this match, in, in hindsight, shouldn't even have happened or been on here or, or, or pick out another pay-per-view to do it. Or if it does happen, again, do it earlier and get it over with. This was your opportunity to bring in Cena and have it all make sense. Cena and Angle could have done – it didn't have to be long. They could have done, done seven or eight just amazing minutes, and both could have walked off with their hands in the air. Instead, the way Angle walked off with the speech, that's a raw moment. That ain't no WrestleMania moment, brother. I don't even care about going out on your back. I hate everything about this match, and I don't even want it. Don't even respond to me. Get out of here. The only thing I was going to say is you're 100% right. They should have done that tomorrow night on Raw, and it would have been totally fine. Not totally fine where it was good, but I wouldn't have hated it nearly as much as them putting it on WrestleMania and taking 10 minutes or 15 minutes out of my show when it wasn't necessary to be there. Here's the for problem, them, Adam. We're, we're overexposed on Angle. He was not uh, – him not being there for so long built your, your want to see it, and then what did we get? Full-on Hall of Fame in your face in 2016, followed by like a year and a half of him as GM. By the way, he was really good. Followed by like a year of him on and off wrestler. We're overexposed, so this actually didn't touch your heartstrings. You wanted it all off your screen. And they had ended the Baron Corbin storyline. If it was something that was ongoing and this was the finish to it, 
then okay, perhaps there's something you know that you can build on there. But the storyline had ended, and then he gets to choose any opponent he wants, and he chooses Baron Corbin. Doesn't make sense. All right, something that we can actually sink our teeth into. BC Triple H against Batista in a no holds barred match. If Triple H was to lose, he would have retired. Man, like you said, this match was like 25 minutes. The best thing I can say, it was awesome action start to finish, but it should have been about 10 minutes shorter. Do you agree? I agree it should have been shorter. Uh, here's the deal. What it was, it was friggin' awesome. I'm serious. Two guys, two basically 50-year-old guys, the amount of bumps that Batista was willing to take in this, he took hellacious bumps, okay? And you had, the storytelling was brilliant. Triple H was rightfully vicious throughout the match. The entrances were epic. Dude, Batista's entrance, I know he tripped coming in the ring and it was hilarious, but his entrance from the cars pulling up to the, to we got the fireworks that we wanted. And he's the one guy, like him and Lesnar are the two guys you're like, I cannot see them enter a match of any kind without fireworks. I need the pyro. We got it. That all delivered. I almost like, it's easy to say on this card, that was 16 matches, that was seven and a half hours, it should have been 15 minutes. But in reality, this card should have been maybe nine matches and keep this 20 at 24 minutes, and it's perfect because the effort was there, the storytelling was there. I know Trips gets everything he wants in terms of grandoir and grandeur and all that and grandoise and whatever, but dude, seriously, Ric Flair coming out and just doing that little touch into the storyline, the spots, the finish of the jumping sledgehammer hit off the stairs, the brutal, one brutal spot after another, I got to give it up to Trips and, and Dave. This was classic old guy work. This may have been the best, like, old guy legends match I've ever seen. Seriously. This was my biggest surprise on the card. I, I thought it would be perfectly fine. It would be 15 minutes. Triple H would go over. There were two false finishes, one for each of them that I thought were fantastic. Really good work outside of the ring. But no, I, I do think it was, and it was probably for, for their, them, you know, catching their breath and, and they're older and they needed a little bit more time. But you cut seven to 10 minutes off that match, especially on a show this long. The crowd, I was in the crowd. The crowd was tired, man. You cut seven to 10. They're, they're intense. They're in it the whole yeah. way and you get a much better reaction when Triple H wins. But again, it was really damn good. So that's, that's, it's such a weird juxtaposition. It's such a weird spot to be in because one, they stole energy from the main event. They tripped straight up with maybe without realizing it stole from the main event by giving such an epic match in the spot that it did. It really did. And, <coughs> and the thing is, it was too long. But every time I started to say to myself, man, it's getting too long. Something awesome would happen that yeah. they got me on two separate near falls where I talked myself in that one split second into believing that Triple H's career was over. And it would make sense because he's going to be 50. He just tore his pec. He's coming off an injury. Maybe he goes, you know what? I'm corporate the rest of the way. They got me. Great. But you can't do it in that spot in the card. So it's tough. It's tough. Oh, oh and by the way, he did that like five months after a torn pec. FYI. Like, good for him. That's HGH incredible. HGH is a hell of a drug. Love yeah. It. Now, th this wasn't a match, but real quick, man. I flipped out John Cena returning as the Doctor of Thugonomics. I thought that was incredible. I enjoyed it in the moment, okay? It was well, it was well done by John, but I didn't need it. I didn't need it. I, I thought, oh, come on again. Think about the timing of when it came on the card. We're but let's, to but get... let's evaluate, let's evaluate these things like not worrying about that seven and a half hours. Though. But it's part of it, though, because we were so excited for the women that all these things kept pushing the women back. Do you know what I'm saying? But yeah, but this wasn't it... this. This wasn't the thing that that I'm really like 
angry over that it existed. You know what I mean? I will say John performed it well. Uh, the the fact that they went like PG thirteen, basically R rating on some of his comebacks, great. I I don't hate it. It's fine. And the whole Babe Ruth thing was interesting because you're like, is American Badass Taker coming out? Is uh uh Bray Wyatt coming out? Like, what the hell is going on here? That part, the production part, were really well done. And no Undertaker on the entire show, by the way, despite rumors that he might be there. Um, we did I'm get his ta- wife in our press box, though. We did. Uh, I'm going to take this one next because the most disappointing oh, and match. Oh, let me just drop one more thing. We did get <laughs> Ricky the Dragon Steamboat yeah, out of the ahead. corner of his eye. saw that I was popping up excited, maybe gonna about to try to get a selfie with him, and he turned the moment I got to him. That was as as that stiff work. That's a stiff blow off right there. I've I've never seen a colder shoulder in my entire life. Wow, and that guy. And I've seen some of them. I love that man. He's a legend, but I I got to be honest, he's actually done that to me before. <laughs> he's blown me off on a couple occasions. Move on, move on. Yeah, no, that is rough. So the thing I have to take issue with, and yeah, I didn't like the Kurt Angle stuff, and I didn't like a lot of other things on this card. But the my biggest disappointment by far, Roman Reigns against Drew McIntyre. Look, I'm being honest. You guys know what I wanted from a storyline perspective. Forget that. Let's put that out of the window. This match sucked. It sucked. You gave it a C minus, BC. I thought you were a full letter grade too high. The work wasn't very good. It was boring. Well, it was physical. I'll give him that. Oh, come, please. It, it was. Yeah, they're both physical big guys. That's fine. It was boring. It was the worst possible finish. And I'm not just saying that they needed to follow Silver King's booking idea. Okay, it was the right damn booking idea. And even if you want Roman Reigns to win, it has to be more difficult for him than that. They just Vince resorted right back into the old mantra. It's the LOL Cena type of booking. Reigns wins at WrestleMania. It doesn't matter who he faces. It doesn't matter what it does to any storylines. It didn't help. It was another face victory on the show that didn't need to be. They ruined the opportunity to tell a good storyline. And instead of dragging out Roman Reigns, you know, coming back from real life issues and struggling to get back to the mountaintop and playing it out over a year and doing and not to throw it in here, you guys know I don't do that, doing what NJPW would do in such a situation as they did with Okada, play it out over six, nine months a year. Instead, they literally have him come back and like a month later like win, a, win a match against a top heel at WrestleMania. Give me yeah. a break. Adam, we're coming off of, of a bunch of Raws where he got like brutally beaten and looked to be concussed. And it's like when you invest that into a storyline only to have him be Superman at WrestleMania, it sucks. It also had a tough placement in the card, only one match removed from the Kofi match. The crowd really wasn't into it, but I, my biggest problem was Michael Cole on commentary playing it up like it's an inspirational win. And I don't want to sound like a jerk by saying that, because here's the deal. Reigns coming back from leukemia is a real-life storyline. It's not fake, and that is inspirational. But Kofi's win was inspirational. So to throw another sort of storyline in that same realm on it, it made no sense. And let's not forget the moment Seth Rollins won the opener, it opened the door for a Rollins Drew McIntyre title feud as a spinoff that now you cannot do because it makes no sense. Hated it. Move on. Move on. Yeah. The only way it makes sense is if McIntyre gets his win back on Raw or something. But then why are you having him lose in the first place when he's already dominated Reigns a couple times? It's it was honestly purely terrible booking and a bad match on top of it. I got to ask you one question. I only need you to answer it with one word. You can't go into details. Are you okay that these three men did not appear on this card in any shape or form? Are you ready? Dean Ambrose, Bray Wyatt, and 
And who's my third? Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens, yes. Yes. All right, there it is. There it totally, is. F- totally fine with it. Um, speaking of short and sweet answers, let's go to a short and sweet match. The United States Championship, Samoa Joe squashed Rey Mysterio Jr. Nah, nah, not feeling it. The only thing that great, great that happened here is that they booked Samoa Joe dominantly, that they didn't F around and have him lose the title. Uh, I, I guess I should be happy that it was quick. Cause look, when you have a 16 match card, you're going to have to have some squashes or some, you know, kind of quick results there. If this was only because Ray got hurt, then I hate it because you could have plugged in Cena for a short match. You really could have, um, eh. love the booking, you, hate the, I don't know, it, it, whatever. It's if you course. have seen it, no, no, no. If you're going to have Cena Samoa Joe, you can't do a quick match. It has to be like a big drawn out thing. The truth is talking about like for you, you're saying nine matches. I think that's crazy, but uh, I think you can easily get down to 12 matches, and I know this was only like two minutes, but this is a match you cut. This did not need to be on the show. They were telling the storyline with Andrade and R-Truth and four guys. They randomly picked one. Dominic wasn't even there. They were trying to tell that story. What the hell was the point of this? It was just completely worthless. But the one saving grace, you're right. We beg for them to book Samoa Joe Strong, and they did. Yeah, he just got a dominant mania win over Hall of Famer. Can't, can't oh, it, hate too much on that. Very true. Uh, we already talked about Kofi. That was the prior match there. So let's move on to this Women's Tag Team Championship. The Iconics getting the win, taking the titles over the Boston Hub Connection, Beth Phoenix and Natalia, Nia Jax and Tamina. Uh, I think it was a stolen pin situation. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I, I the finish was genius. So first of all, this match overachieved like by far in terms of entertainment. Great finish because Beth Phoenix hits this insane glam slam off the top rope on Bailey, And then you have the timing of the Iconics running in, Peyton Royce pushing Beth Phoenix off of her, and then Billy Kay sliding in them DMs for the pin. Um, you get a babyface pop here, and the Iconics aren't babyfaces, but people love them so much, you got basically another babyface pop moment. I liked it. I, I'm fully ready if you want to counter and be like, the Iconics haven't shown you enough that it would make sense to put the titles on them right now, and why are you already hot potatoing? This title, when you sort of put it on the Boston Hug Connection for a reason, like, I'm with you on that. But in terms of what it was, outside of seven and a half hours, outside of anything else, the match was great. The match was great. I had no issue with the Iconics winning, but it's the last thing that you said. These titles keep changing hands. I think there were nine titles defended and seven title changes on this show. It was unnecessary. And the only reason they got a huge pop, and BC, you and I experienced this firsthand— Every single person I met at WrestleMania or WrestleMania weekend was Australian. There was like a huge freaking contingent of Australians that took this travel package and flew over to New York and went to this show. Oh, yeah. Literally, literally on the way to the stadium and from the stadium, the people that we sat next to and talked to were all Australians. Well, dude, you already so know I think, Aussies are diehards. I mean, Mick Johnston, Omar Al-Rashid, those are our brohams, right? Cam no, Schilling. So point being is I think there were so many Australians in the crowd. That's why they popped for the Iconics. That's why it was a babyface pop because they were all Australians. But um, it was a really good match. The Beth Phoenix spot was really cool. I just – look, you're, gonna, you're giving Sasha these ti- Sasha and Bailey these titles and now you're taking it off of them right away. And now they're a tag team without a title and without anything else to do. Are you ending the tag team? Are you putting them back in singles competition? This, are we, are we going to get a Sasha Banks and Bailey? one-on-one feud if we do then maybe i'm okay with that but you know the match was very good so if i'm if i'm just judging it on the match that was solid and bc speaking of solid matches you know what i may want to take back what i said a few minutes ago when i said triple h and batista 
overachieved more than any other match on this show because BC, you and I both loved Shane McMahon against The Miz in a false count anywhere match. Oh my god, I'm even gonna hit you with this. A muted one. Um, holy crap, this one did not have the right being as good as it was. And Adam, it wasn't just like some kind of insane spot fest or some kind of like crazy gimmick weapons match. They told an insanely great story. The stuff with George Mazane and coming in was great. Him running in front of the table to stop Shane from jumping off the top rope. And then the escalation of once it turned into a, a brawl in the crowd, and you know you're going to set up certain spots, I thought it escalated perfectly where it never felt like it was like, okay, when is this going to end? It got crazier and crazier. The stuff they did in the international broadcast table area where they just destroyed that area, I think we had a better view from the press box looking down on that than maybe the people did watching the cameras at home and seeing how much damage they cost. And then Shane flipping over that fence ended up on the golf cart. The skull-crushing finale, finale on the... Uh, What's on the early riser of the, and then, you know, you go all the way up to the top of that scaffolding. So here's the deal. From the spot that I saw that crazy closing spot, it was like seeing them just disappear into the night. It was brilliant. Our colleague Robbie Snyder watched it from the seats. I watched his video that he put on Instagram. Yeah, from his view, he sees the whole thing happen right into that foam pit. They basically set up underneath. I'm not against there being a foam pit set up underneath, by the way. This match was amazing. I love the suplex off the top finish, but even better, even better than everything I just said, Adam, the fact that this amazing heel Shane McMahon, I can't believe I'm saying that, can win the match just by being the guy that fell underneath Miz, where on top of Miz was amazing because his heel work, ragging on Greg Hamilton to start that match, was one of the top moments of the whole night. Yeah, I mean, look, this isn't Sabu and, you know, the Sandman. This is a reality TV star and the son of a billionaire. So they ain't going to just take a spot like that onto concrete. OK, so I had no issue with that. And I was with you in the press box for this BC and you're 100 percent right. It looked like they fell into darkness. And it was one of the craziest things I've ever seen, like from that type of vantage point at a wrestling show. It was really cool. But that match was great. Top to bottom. Um, it started out and it was kind of like, oh, man, are they really going this way? And it's false count anywhere, but they're really not leaving the ringside area. Oh yeah, they left the ringside area, and they spent they spent like an hour outside of the ringside area. So I, I I'm actually gonna take back the Triple H Batista thing because I did think that was going to be good. It ended up being very good. I thought this would be okay, and it ended up being great. Kudos to both of them. And it was the and having Shingo over, you know, man, our prediction show. Silver King called that. That's the right booking. What if I told you before this night started that hey Adam, guess what? Uh, Miz and Shane are going to have the second best match of the night. Triple H <laughs> is going to have the third. And the women's historic main event is probably going to be the fourth. Yeah, or fifth. Yeah, you're not wrong. Or fifth, because I'm going to bring up the SmackDown Tag Team Championships, where you had the Usos retain the titles, defeating the bar via pinfall. Also, Ricochet and Aleister Black, Rusev and Shinsuke Nakamura. My only issue, one issue, BC, with this match, Ricochet and Aleister Black, were undefeated on the main roster as a tag team. They were dominating. They not only had three tag team title matches in seven days, they had obviously one of them on NXT, they had Raw and SmackDown. They lost all three of them, granted. This is a multi-man match. They didn't take the fall. But man, they're so good. They've been getting such a good push. The fans were reacting to them so strongly. Didn't it make sense for them to win the titles? Um, it, it did, unless they have singles pushes planned and i think they should be because even though they 
overachieved as a pair because of how good they are and the chemistry that developed, it really does make no sense for them to be together. They're done with NXT. We saw that in the send the typical takeover send off they got, which means they're done. And uh, look, Ricochet was fantastic in this match. He maybe had he had a contender for move of the night on that ridiculous spinny crap move he had. I don't even know what what to, what to call it, but yeah, this, who knows? this match was the perfect example of what I'm talking about of the built-in comedy that they did on this. That Cesaro spinning move. Who did he end up spinning? Was it Ricochet? Yeah. For like five minutes as Sheamus was just taking turns, beating dudes in the chest. There were a lot of those little planned moments that almost had, I don't want to say indie level humor because it wasn't. Some of these indie level gags like are corny. This was WWEized and it was smart and it was great. And this had a hectic finish and it had all the spots and all the saves that you want. Again, a match that had no storyline that I was mad at that completely overachieved. Yeah, you're 100% right. Um, another match that I thought was solid. That's the best way I can put it. It was solid. AJ Styles beating Randy Orton, obviously via pinfall. There were a lot of fake RKO, fake phenomenal forearm stuff. For them not really having much of a storyline, I thought they did a very good job giving them a storyline over the final couple of weeks. But if I'm being completely honest, I thought the match was good, and it was a nice way to showcase both guys in non-title in a non-title match. But it was throwaway. I'll, I won't remember that this match was on this show. As soon as I saw that it was going to be the second match on the main card, I got a little bit disappointed because that becomes a throwaway. It's never a throwaway match. It's always a bridge match because if you look back the last three, four years, the beginnings of these WrestleMania cards are always hot fire and it's it's like a bridge. One adds a little bit more, adds a little bit more. But in this spot, look, if it had been the opener, I would have felt like there would have been more onus for it to be amazing. In the end, it was just a solid, good-ass match. Not offensive at all, just solid. And I think it adds to that resume we talked that Styles is building, where he's had some really great Mania matches against a lot of different legends. I think this will just be another solid one you add on there. They were both really good in it. It just didn't have that one moment that really would catapult it into like a B-plus, A-minus level match. It was sort of just a solid B that you were entertained by. It moved you along to the next match. We roll on. Yeah, and and the main card opened with that Universal Championship match between Seth Rollins and Brock Lesnar. Obviously, Seth Rollins going over, hitting three stomps on Lesnar following a low blow with the referee's back turned to get a pinfall and win the title. I came up with a pretty crazy stat, you see, as I was watching this. You didn't you, you didn't buy it, uh, but a lot of other people did. Um, Seth Rollins has beaten Brock Lesnar one-on-one twice. The first time, I think, was by disqualification, however many years ago, four or five. doesn't matter. But Seth Rollins is the first guy under 250 pounds to get a pinfall victory on Brock Lesnar since Eddie Guerrero in 2004. Wow. Think about that. 15 years. And, and we talk about all the time Brock Lesnar putting over smaller guys, but he always beats them, right? Rollins got the win here. It opened the show. There was that promo from Heyman coming out, and I'll let you talk about the match, but I want to talk about the Heyman promo because what do I always say on this show? My biggest problem with Brock Lesnar is he only wants to go to the – he wants to be there for the front front half of Raw, front half, first 15 minutes of Raw. Then he wants to get on get in a limo, get on a train, get on a plane, and get the hell out of there, right? That was the storyline. It was, hey, if my client's not going to main event. He wants to get the hell out of here in 15 minutes. So for the Silver King, that popped me because I was like, man, this is what I'm saying about this guy. It played right into the perfect storyline. But go talk to me about the match. Was it the right decision? And did you like the way it played out? 
I thought in the moment I was so entertained by this. I thought it was brilliant. To, to, it was a surprise to make it the first match of the night. It, it's it's not natural to do that when you have the Universal Championship at stake. But considering we knew this was going to probably be a short-ish car wreck, not a uh, Brock versus Braun or Goldberg car wreck because Seth can do some more things. But it also wasn't Seth bouncing off of Brock in the way that like AJ and Finn Balor has. It was more in line with the car wreck style. I felt it was really cool to open it because it felt prestigious. It made, look, if Brock had been in that three-quarter mark, not the mid-card main event, but the three-quarter mark, he may have gotten lost in there. Instead, it kind of felt special. But this is weird. In the moment, I was fine with it. And the reason was because it was exciting. There was a lot of action in a short period of time. And because I felt it was time, especially with Brock more than likely going to be facing Daniel Cormier for UFC in August, that taking the championship off of him and putting it on Seth was going to open up a lot of big business. Now, part of that was me thinking Drew McIntyre was going to go over. But in hindsight and hearing some people complain, I wonder if it kind of got to me. Did Seth beat him too easily? Was a low blow enough to turn the tide against mighty Brock Lesnar? I know we got three stomps in there. But was it a little bit too much business for you? And not, you know, it's good business. But was it not enough on, like, let's say, realism and the idea of Brock's been so dominant that maybe a Goldberg can squash him because he caught him off guard and, like, knocked him out? But can a Seth Rollins? Well, the I mean, A, it was foreshadowed on Monday, which I thought, in retrospect, was well done even though I didn't like Rollins going over on both shows. But let's not forget, the only time The Undertaker beat Brock Lesnar, he low-blowed him. So it's his weak spot, as it is with most men. Uh, I mean, think about the Shinsuke Nakamura-AJ Styles feud. It was entirely based on low blows after that first match. And Nakamura never won the title, obviously, but the only way he ever got over him in situations was through the low blow, right? In, like, the non-title matches that set up the title matches. So they established that Rollins was going to go to this level on Monday. It wasn't a surprise on Sunday because you already saw it happen, right? So I didn't mind that so much. I also thought it made Brock look strong that he had hit three stomps, and primarily because the first two, he kept getting up, right? He sold all three in an insane manner, and he sold the pinfall finish in that third stomp. Brock was motionless in the middle of the ring for like two or three minutes as Seth was celebrating I loved that. Like he actually sold that. I'm putting this guy over and this is what's happening in this match. So I thought it was really good work from Brock. Did it leave something to be desired? Do you want to see Seth Rollins like actually fight from under and get an opportunity to have Brock kick out and, and go through that whole process? You do. But Brock looked great. He was violent outside the ring and Seth got his work done. And more than anything else, I think we're going to be able to move on from the Brock Lesnar era and actually get this title on TV every week, and that's a plus. I mean, his body looked great. Some people noticed that he didn't bump in this match at all, so maybe it was out of fear of getting injured. I mean, he took the stomps, but there's not a lot of movement on that. Um, It's all pretty interesting here. Um, I just don't like – I think this build could have been great, and how do you not have one reference to WrestleMania 31? Where Seth kind of ruined Brock's plans. How do you not have a reference to that? So it's interesting. Apparently there was one during the match. But not during the build, but apparently during the match they mentioned it. But that's not good enough. You're 100% right. All right, you asked me to give a one-word answer earlier. I'm going to ask you to give me a one-word answer. Hulk Hogan is a surprise quick entrant to open WrestleMania. No. Good or bad? Bad. bad. Uh, like, I mean, shout out to him for going back to the well on that Silverdome joke. It, you know, it was fun, but no. 
I'm okay with him at the Hall of Fame. Brian, no, I don't. I he did, had the, it felt bad. He had he, he had the Silver Dome joke, and then he accidentally called it MetLife Center. I no, I don't even like having Alexa Bliss pushed into that spot where she had to then pose down with him afterwards. Like that was. But by the way, did you notice during the pre-show that? Alexa Blith kind of did like a basic instinct scene. Did you see that when she crossed and uncrossed her legs? Yeah, Holy... but it wasn't like towards the camera like that, though. Oh, it was It was more or less. There were people in the press box with their jaws dropped. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, she, she looked fantastic all night long. I, but I don't like her being tied into the whole thing. All in all, I didn't like the whole thing at all. That belongs in Saudi Arabia because we all hate everything to do with that Saudi Arabia card. That belongs in Saudi Arabia. I'm just not ready. I don't know how. I don't. You know. I, no. I don't. I don't disagree with you. I don't think it was necessary. But to be candid, the audience popped. It did. I mean, they were they were ready for it. And whether you like it or not, and he was at the Hall of Fame, so you knew he was there this weekend. You know, I, I don't think it was the end of the world. It, it certainly didn't start. For it, 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 it didn't start the show off on a hot note. But Paul Heyman walking through that, yes, like right past Hogan without even acknowledging him was pretty awesome, so it it kind of sold me. Would ultimately. you have popped for a fan running in with a Rastafarian hat shooting on Hogan? No, and I don't think he ever banged Sonny either. Wow, wow. But we will get to that, though, before the show is out. Um, Really, really super quick kickoff show, right? Andre the Giant Memorial Battle so super, Royal. Super Braun Strowman won. The, they were, that was a really good kickoff show, I thought. For, I mean, kickoff show, it, it can be low quality most of the time. I was impressed by it. I was entertained. Top to bottom, I think it was a solid B kickoff show. Just really solid, entertaining, nothing terrible, really good. But we had that Andre the Giant match. Braun Strowman won. The two SNL guys, honestly, like, I thought they did a good job. I think the match was worthless, but I thought they did a good job. I, I thought this was a giant success, and I wanted nothing to do with the SNL storyline, and it delivered. I don't know, like, what kind of people are in this press box that we were in, Adam, and there's people of all kinds. There's not just, you know, traditional sports writers like us who are there covering WWE. There's video game, comic writers, there's, you know, international guys. People popped like freaking crazy for this match. And you know what? The comedy was good. Joe wearing the, o the Odell Beckham jersey, Browns jersey was brilliant. He performed well as a heel. I thought both this and the women's battle royal kind of overachieved. They weren't great. But they didn't suck. And in this case, that's kind of key because they're only there to get every possible name on there. So to at least have the right guy win and Braun Strowman in one and Carmella win in the other, yeah, it's not horrific. So I'm okay. All, overall, I'm okay. It wasn't horrific. There were two things that I found interesting, though. I loved, loved the follow-up segment with Jost and Che and Kevin Nash and Scott Hall later during WrestleMania where they're in the doctor's office getting checked out. That was funny. Um and I just liked their effort in that match. Like they both took bumps, obviously not really massive ones. Um, but it just kind of goes to show you what I was saying before with Braun Strowman. It's like they ain't got nothing for this guy and they're not going to. And I mean, he's on the battle royal. He got a huge pop. He got a huge pop at the Hall of Fame. We were there. We saw him pop up uh, when he was doing the interview on WWE Network. But they're not going to put him in a title picture. Maybe he's the one that turns heel against Seth Rollins, and maybe he beats him okay, for the title. I was say, and we and we get and we get Roman Strowman again. I don't imagine know. Imagine him as a okay. Imagine if they stopped doing the goofy Brock Braun. If they stopped doing the strongman Braun, and they stopped doing the he'll flip a car or a house at any yeah. point Braun, and it was just heel destroyer original Wyatt family. Do you remember the finisher he had when he first came out with the Wyatt family? 
he would hold, he would pick up guys and choke them in the air while holding them. Yes, it was like a one arm. It was brilliant because he could do that on basically anyone. I'd love to see him just be a dark destroyer, and I think. I don't think he has to have long title reigns because a destroyer like that, you don't put a belt on for a long time. But him as a perfect B-side against the Reigns or Rollins or Balor or whatever, it's it's great. Yeah, it would work. I, I And just to since you mentioned the Women's Battle Royal, I mean, Carmella winning, I'm fine with it. It doesn't matter. I thought like a I'm sorry for Asuka or a situation where you put someone new, Mandy Rose, Sonya Deville, a returning Ember Moon who they didn't even mention despite the fact that like – the crowd was insanely hot for her and was prior to her getting injured. Welcome back, by the way. Oh, and Luke Harper returned in the men's battle royal. Not that anyone said anything about it. Um, so that was kind of weird, but it was good seeing everyone. And I agree with you. I thought they were fine. We also had that Raw Tag Team Championship match with Ryder and Hawkins going over the Revival. I mean, I think you and I are, are of the same mind here that, like, these titles are going back Monday, hopefully. Felt wasted. Um, Even me being a Zack Ryder fan, and by the way, I interviewed Kurt Hawkins on the Hall of Fame red carpet, and he's awesome. He's a great dude, but all the things we said coming in, it was a waste of a pop. And I know both him and Ryder are from Greater New York, and really all New York people seem to win on this undercard outside of Braun Strowman. It was kind of weird, but uh, Carmella, you know, storyline from New York, uh, Tony Nese from New York area, so it was kind of weird in that regard, but uh, they didn't need to do it. Wouldn't you have enjoyed better? If it looked, if it was one of those where you're like, 100% they're going to win, and then the Revival do something awesome yeah. as heels to get it back. It, it, it would have been much better. I mean, the truth is, it probably should have been Revival against Aleister Black uh, yeah, and Ricochet on the show if you're going to have a title match. And then in the other match, you have the Hardys in the fourth spot, and everyone's happy, and you have two really good matches. This match didn't need to be on the show, primarily because they started telling this story like eight weeks ago. They stopped for seven weeks, and then they just brought it back on a social media post after Raw went off the air on Monday and then just added the match to the card and then they won the title. So it it was totally unnecessary. And when you talk about like what I said to open the show, cutting 30 minutes off the kickoff, cutting 30 minutes off the main card, this is part of cutting 30 minutes off the kickoff. You want to have the Battle Royals? That's fine. You don't need a match like this. But a match that you can't have anytime, anywhere is a Cruiserweight Championship match, especially on a major show. And you had Tony Nese winning the title by beating our boy, Buddy Murphy, really more your boy, but our boy, Buddy Murphy. I thought it was a really damn good match, BC, but I got to be honest, I was surprised by the title change. Well, there's one thing we need to establish first. From the moment we saw him, we thought, sex. Thank you, Sasha. Um, if It, it only makes sense if he's going to get called up, and I'm really excited and hope that he does. And look, I know it may be looked at as a lateral or step back if he goes to NXT, but could you freaking imagine him in NXT? It'd be amazing. If not... Send him up to the roster. Look, he's almost like a poor man's Omega, like we established in some ways, but he's becoming my favorite wrestler overall. He's ready. He's incredible. This match was really damn fun, and I think this was the perfect example of mixing, yes, the high-flying cruiserweight style with really an NJPW kind of physical, strong-style striking. It was great. I loved it. Liked seeing Nice get the moment. Didn't think it was really believable if Murphy's not getting called up because of the run Murphy had been on. It didn't seem to make sense unless that's your plan. If that's your plan, that's fine. Let's do it. Yeah. Now, just to quickly wrap up WrestleMania, there were nine title matches on the show, seven title changes, wow. six, 16 matches overall, 12 faces won. Is this I'm a okay baby with face territory now. Well, I'm okay with that latter number, the 16 and 12, because it is WrestleMania and it's two to one. 
but seven title changes. That's crazy to me, including all three of your major championships. Uh, I mean, including the double women, the, the two men's, the, the, the WWE and the Universal, and the Intercontinental Championship on top of it. All those changed hands. I think something kind of similar happened last year as well. Obviously not the Universal. Um, and obviously not the WWE. So nothing similar happened last year. Uh, so negate that statement. Um, but I thought it was a, a massive show for pops. Uh, and I think that's part of the reason why, especially early on, BC, it looked like we were, again, we've said this three years in a row, on the way to an all-time WrestleMania. Like, possibly best ever. It was shaping up that way. And due to the time and due to some of the matches failing late, it once again fell off. And I'm not against them going for big and even cheap pops at WrestleMania because the last two years, we talked about this, I thought both, like you just said, were on, on their way to being great. And the people that disagreed with me, I think what they're missing is a lot of what made that great was there was really high quality match content. Like the wrestling wasn't fantastic. But I think what cautions people on looking back and rating that as an all-time great WrestleMania is there's not enough moments. This this card had that potential with the moments like we talked about. In the end, I'll give it a B plus. They tried hard. Uh, they got to fix it. Just like they fixed the Hall of Fame and shortened it, you got to go back and just say, are we getting the most out of it? Do we add a second night? Do we, I mean, what are we doing here? Let's just you, figure it out. You got, you got to go six, six and a half at most. You plan for six, six and a half with an overrun if you need it. That's it. How about five? Get, How about just five hours? The, no, because there's, so here's long. the thing. The, the, the roster is too big. Here's it's too crazy. big to do a five hour show. WrestleMania one was a little over an hour. Okay. I watched WrestleMania 2 live, it was two hours. I watched WrestleMania 3 live, it was three. Then I watched WrestleMania 4 with that tournament, it was four hours. And I remember people being like, oh my god. It was a double VHS tape when you rented it, it was just insanity. This was seven and a half hours, Adam. But 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 now that they've conditioned us two years in a row for over seven, going to six, or going to six with like a 15 minute, 20 minute over on if needed, will feel like nothing. If they say, hey... Guess what? This this kickoff show that started at five. It okay, I'm gonna be honest. Six. I don't know if it will feel like nothing because you mentioned your watch. Like, look, I'm a man. Come after me. I'm 40. But this is a lot to sit through. And I know it's WrestleMania week. It's New York. We were out late at NXT. We were out at NJPW SuperCard. All that stuff. But this is a long ass amount. Like, you don't watch NFL games this long. You don't go to the movies for this long. What is there an equivalent? What is the equivalent, well, on, equivalent of, of well, something an, you would watch this on, long? On an NFL Sunday, you are watching. If you're a, I am one. I'm an NFL fan. I'm watching from 1 p.m. until 11:12. You're watching the 1 p.m. games, the 4 p.m. games, and then you're watching Sunday Night Football. The difference is it's different teams, and it and there's breaks in between, and one's your team, and and you're betting on the games. It's it's just different, right? And you're not stuck in an arena the entire time or sitting on your couch and it's straight nonstop. There's breaks, right? There's half times, so on and so forth. So an NFL Sunday is very, very college football Saturday. If you're watching college football all day, you can watch college football from 12 p.m. until like 2 a.m. if you really wanted to. Yeah. So there are there are equivalencies in sports, but in a, in a single event, you can't compare. It It's way, way too long. I'm telling you, though. If you take seven and a half and you get it down to six with an overrun, 
It's the sweet oh, spot. You're long. getting enough people on the card to placate WWE right. and, and the roster and the talent, and it's short enough where people aren't feeling like they're for, I there for believe you, Silver King, but we'll debate that another day. This All show right. is also too long, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to shout out, number one, the face of the face of the state of combat, Mount Rushmore, Tristan Adelano forgetting, and I want to talk to Samson sign on one of the early Mania matches, and it blew up on Twitter. Everybody was tweeting about it. Uh, I don't know what else he got on. I haven't seen a picture of his signs yet, but shout out to that man. Shout out to the people we met this week. Let's get into all of that on this week's Wednesday show. Our NXT recap, our G1 Supercard, our Bret Hart Almost Dying recap, all that stuff, because Silver King, it's at a gross time in the middle of the morning right now. Yeah, you know what? You're right. I was, I was going to try to force us to get it all in right now, but as I said to open the show, man, I'm legit washed. WrestleMania week is one thing, and we've powered through it twice now. We did it in Orlando. We did it in New Orleans, and we were okay. You know, we had some energy at the end of the, of the week. It's a different beast in New York. I, this is my first time here in decades, and I am ex- like the travel alone was exhausting. Then sitting there for so long was exhausting. I am definitely ready to say goodbye, call it a night, and get ready for tomorrow. Say goodbye. Say goodbye. Oh, that's rough. Yeah, it is. And let me tell you, wrestling is a rough sport. Yeah. <laughs> what you, you, just, you just didn't want to find it. You're, you're so what, tired. So you're so tired. You did not want to find the drop. Hey, thank you to all our listeners. We put a lot of content out there, and people seem to really like it. Shout out to all you guys. I hope you enjoyed Mania. We enjoyed most of it. Kofi Mania is running wild, brother. Hogan came crashing down. It hurt me inside. I love Batista's fireworks. Oh, yeah, man. You got anything else to say, Silver King? No, but listen, the pyro is sick. Bring back the pyro. Yeah, bring it back. And you know what else? I'd still risk it all for Liv Morgan. And we are out. (laughs) 